Welcome to Episode 8 of the Princeton Podcast with Mayor Mark Frieda. In this episode, Mark invited Lance Liverman, a lifelong Princeton resident who has served on many of Princeton's boards and committees for the past 25 years. Mark and Lance focused much of their conversation on the evolution of Princeton real estate, including our efforts to provide for affordable housing, as well as the potential community impact, both good and bad, of accessory dwelling units, often called ADUs, now beginning to appear here in Princeton. So without any further introduction, let's join our host, Mark Frieda, and his guest, Lance Liverman, for Episode 8 of the Princeton Podcast. Lance, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So let me just ask you a few questions. Uh, I think, Lance, most people know you from your time on Township Committee and then the Princeton Council, once the two towns combined. Uh, But you were there a long time between those two governing bodies. Yeah, I was there for a total of uh, 15 years as elected official and 10 years prior on boards and commissions. So 25 years of serving the beautiful town of Princeton. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's quite an accomplishment. I mean, that, that, that's a very long time. <laughs> a lot of people come and go in a, you know, one or two terms and that's it. Yeah, that's a, ve- a very long time. Um, it didn't seem like it was long, maybe within 20 years. And then the last five, it kind of like <laughs> stretched out to be 50. <laughs> so I said, I'll you know, vacate the seat and let someone else uh, serve. Yeah. So, you know, I know as, um, as a council member, the council people are liaisons to any number of boards, committees, commissions. There's council committees. Are there some of those that you can just kind of highlight and say, hey, here's some of the different things I did over all those years? Oh, my God. In all that time, I served on so many. Um, so I served a liaison to the Princeton Recreation Department, Civil Rights, Human Services, um, on and on. I probably touched <laughs> quite, quite a few. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the housing, um, uh, the Housing Authority of, of Princeton. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, being a liaison really connects you to the people. Yeah. It connects you to the town. And the town wouldn't be anywhere if we didn't have the volunteers that we have. So it's great for me to serve as a liaison to so many boards. Yeah. Um, and you're still actually even though you just said, you know, hey, 25 years, and I finally said I'm going to stop. You, you never really stop because you're still on the Affordable Housing Board, aren't you? I am. I'm a member of the Affordable Housing Board. Um, affordable housing has been near and dear to me uh, my entire life. And I, I love trying to find people um, uh, decent housing um, in a town like Princeton, where it's a benefit to live here. So uh, affordable housing is something that I take near and dear. So I, I love serving. Um, I don't know. I'm assuming I'm, I'll serve next year, but if, if not, I'll still find something to do. <laughs> uh, rumor has it you're a lock to stay on that board, okay. but anyway. Um, so, you know, one thing interesting with the Affordable Housing Board is I, I think, you know, recently the, the board made some suggestions to the council about ways to make the application process, at least the, uh, the initial application to get on the list easier by removing some of the some of the requirements that aren't needed in the early stages. Yes, we, we found out that um, uh, some people uh, that apply for affordable housing, uh, especially when it comes to credit, uh, they, run a, uh, they run into difficulty. Um, some locations or uh, places uh, will ask that you have a 650 credit rating. And that's all they're looking at is the number. But they're not looking at the definition and why it's under 650. For instance, 
Sometimes we get in trouble with medical problems, and that pulls you down. If you have a $15,000 medical bill that you haven't paid, but yet you paid all your other bills. So we, we've asked, and what we would like is to let the person or family fill the application, start the application process without looking at the credit at that point. And then at the end of the application process, if everything is lockstep and in perfect order, then we can pull a credit report. And that would not um, discourage them from applying or discourage them from not um, obtaining a unit. Right, which is a great idea. And yeah. I mean, you know, reality is reality and you need to see not just what the number is, but why. And, yes. and then I think also, right, the, the board recommended that we not require a social security number on the initial application. Yes, the uh, social security number was also something that we felt that we um, not, not have on the initial application. Um, for sometimes, I think the social security number uh, kind of scares scare folks. And I think that goes along with the credit and other items that they were they were um, kind of, I guess, I would say frightened or maybe um, I should say they may have been frightened, but they may have been frightened for the wrong reason. So we're just trying to move any barrier that will not let someone apply. Right. And, and realistically, with COVID and everything, uh, getting a social security number doesn't happen as quick as it used to. That's right. And an, an immigrant into the country may not yet have a social security number, but they may have children that were born here. They can get a social security number quicker than they can. So that would also lock that person from being able to get housing for a legitimate family that should have housing. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I can't um, uh, share with you uh, how difficult during COVID it's been for many things. And housing is just one of the areas that it's been very, very difficult. Um, and also in a lot of our affordable housing units, um, well, some, not all, um, they were also having problems because some folks weren't working. So we're not working, you know, that is kind of difficult to come up with the rent money at the end of the, the month. So we were thankful for the government um, uh, releasing funds, uh, COVID re release uh, monies that, that helped. But um, it was just a tough time. Yeah, yeah. Very hard time. Let's, let's shift gears uh, somewhat. Uh, were you born in Princeton? Yes. 1962 at Princeton Hospital. Wow. At that time, I was living on, I believe it was called Harley Avenue. It was part of the uh, university barracks on um, hey, Harrison. Uh, Butler Track. Butler Track. Butler Track, sure. And uh, my father was the uh, first, from what I've told, um, African-American um, lighting engineer at McCarter Theater mm -hmm. in 1957-58. And at that time, they were housing the employees university was. And that's why we were living there. So in 1962, I was born. Uh, I was born there. So I've been here. I went through the school system, um, elementary school, uh, because we had moved over on Witherspoon Street. I was part of the busing project, and I was bused to Littlebrook School. And from Littlebrook School, I went to John Witherspoon, John Witherspoon to Princeton High School. I left Princeton High School and attended my first two and a half, three years at Fairleigh Dickinson University in Teaneck, New Jersey. And then I completed um, my last year at College of New Jersey, uh, which was Trenton State. Yeah, I, I know it as Trenton State yeah, College Trenton. also, because when I was there, it was Trenton State it was College. Trenton State. Trenton State. So I've been around for a while. Yeah, that's 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 great. Uh, so, all right, you finished college at mm -hmm. Trenton State College. Yes. Um, would you did you work locally, or were you out of the area? Or 
I did. Um, so my family owned at that time, they owned a, um, like what we would call it, like a trash company or you pick up trash and take it to the dump and so forth. So because of that, we met a lot of important folks in town. So there was a man by the name of Richard Dillsworth. I lived at 141 Hodge Road. He was also on the board of directors of Macy's. When I graduated, he sent me a nice letter saying, would you consider working for Macy's? So at that time, I went into New York, uh, Herald Square, and applied for a job at Macy's. And I started working for Macy's. Um, and then I moved here at Quaker Bridge Mall. Uh, I was in the assistant buyer program. I left Macy's, um, which I, I loved it. And I went on to work for uh, Clancy Paul Computers. Yeah. I worked for Glenn Paul and Mr. Clancy. And um, I enjoyed that. I worked over in Cranberry at their, at their headquarters. I did some inventory work there. I then left there and went to a company called North American Phillips Lighting Corporation. And I was an account executive there. And I stayed there until August of 88. And I decided that I'm going to work for myself. And in August of 88, I started something called the Special Courier, which was a delivery service. We delivered same-day packages from Boston to Washington, D.C., well, you were ahead of your time. <laughs> I had three vans and three employees, and we were doing well until something called 9-11. When 9-11 came, all my large accounts, um, Reuters, uh, Thomas, American Express, Merrill Lynch, were in, a, in the financial district. And when that occurred, uh, you know, the business that I was doing for them went, went south. Fortunate for me, during those years of running the special courier, I knew I needed a retirement program. So I started purchasing real estate instead of having a 401k. And I was able to buy quite a few uh, pieces of real estate around Princeton, uh, Lawrenceville, and East Windsor. And I had companies manage my real estate while I was doing the special courier work. But after 9-11, I decided to take all my real estate and manage it myself. And it was the best thing I've ever done in my life. So that's what I do now. That's amazing that, you know, <laughs> hey, you, you had such the foresight to, to think about that. But, you know, just think if if not for 9-11, yeah. you know, you might have been the new FedEx. I mean, you there you go. Been, I'm sure you were getting ready to buy an airplane or two, but. <laughs> yeah, maybe three or four jets. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll leave out a Teterboro. But no, it was, yeah, it was. It was, it was a very good business. I, um, you know, not, not to digress, but I used to deliver all kinds of things. And uh, just to tell you some items that we delivered, we delivered blood for the Florum Blood Bank. Huh. So when people need a blood, they will call my service, we run blood. We also um, were certified that we could be witnesses in regard to corporate signings. So when one corporation would buy another one, my drivers would be the witness for the, those, wow. those transactions. I mean, we did a myriad of things. It was a, it was a great business. Yeah. I mean, I delivered them. Um, Tile to some of the richest people in the world, uh, imported tile that would come from the docks in New York. And so we, it was a great business, great business. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's it's amazing, right? Because you, you know you think of okay, here's this guy that was all in town council, but then you're like all of a sudden, I mean, this guy had this business. And, you know, I, I also when you mentioned Clancy Paul, right? I mean, the computer yes. company. Yeah. When you think back to that, they were very early. They were on with with computers. And, I mean, they were a big deal here in town. <laughs> they were a big deal. They were a big deal. They were, um, you know, um, uh, Glenn, Glenn Paul was a, just just an incredible, um, gifted young guy, and, and Mr. Clancy was 
before his time. Yeah. And they really put together a, a solid company. I mean, it was great. We were able to furnish a lot of schools with computers and uh, and teach folks. And it was it was a good, very good business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting that you're branched out into uh, into real estate. Again, yeah. you know, in the time you were buying real estate uh, compared to values in the area today. I mean, that's, you know. Oh, my Lord. Quite a difference, right? You know, uh, I will tell you in the... Um, Early 90s, um, I bought a duplex in Princeton for about $140,000. That same duplex we sell today for about seven twenty. dollars easy. Um, it, it's incredible. And that's why it's so important for the folks that live in Princeton to try to stay in Princeton. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of aging in place, if possible. And I think that's where taxes and things of that sort have to, you know, be reasonable yeah. so that people can stay here. Yeah. But the real estate values, it's really uh, one of the gifts that we've had living in Princeton is owning our homes. Right. So if you were able to buy long enough ago, the threshold to buy a property was, quote unquote, reasonable. <laughs> reasonable. Where we That's see right. today, I mean, I think oh. one of the biggest, some of the biggest oh. problems facing our, our people in town, people that grow up. So you grow up here, you go to high school. You finish college and then you're like, oh, wait a minute, yeah. how do I buy a home here now? Right. Because it, it's so costly. And there's people that are forced out of town, I mean, literally every week because of taxes or property values. That's exactly right. And I think they were saying that the medium house is like 800000 or Yeah, it's like 840 or something 40, like that. It's that's saying, incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, a lot of the professional uh, folks that are coming out of college are coming out with large debts. You know, their, their debts are incredible, which makes it kind of difficult. Right. So um, looking at the the whole real estate thing, uh, mm -hmm. average cost of, of homes or whatever, and I know the town uh, not so long ago passed uh, an ordinance allowing the uh, ex um, accessory dwelling units, the ADUs. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think the the intent of that was to help people stay in town in that, okay, I, I own a house. I could build an ADU mm -hmm. and either move into it and rent out my house, or I could rent out the ADU so I can afford to stay in yep. my house. Yep. Um, so I think it'll be interesting over over time to see how that, that works out. Because it sounds to me like, you know, even the Affordable Housing Board probably would say, oh, well, the concept is a good concept. Yes. Um, I, well, I do. I, I think that the concept of ADUs I think it's a great concept. And that's like you mentioned, um, if you have a house, you can add on to the home as long as it's connecting um, or you can um, convert part of your home that you have into a, a separate dwelling, dwelling place. And I think what it does, the first positive part of this, it increases the, um, the housing market. It yeah. increases how many homes that we have here in Princeton without actually most times expanding the footprint of so large, which I think is great. I think that there are some um, more curtailing or, or fine-tuning of the ADUs that I think council and, and you, Mark, being the mayor, should probably look at. Yeah. Um, I know recently there's been a discussion in town, and I know the New York Times have printed a, 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 a very nice story in regard to ADUs that are selling for um, you know $800,000. Yeah. Um, now, <laughs> there was nothing illegal about that, but that's not, I think, was the intent. 
behind having an edu. The the intent was to have it so it's affordable. Uh, yeah. I, I I would say so. I just think that some you know curtailing maybe in regard to size or something that will have it so that we can have ADUs do what they should that we think that they should be. Doing. Yeah, I I think part of the problem there. Um, not that I was involved, I wasn't an elected official at the mm-hmm. time, but I think part of the problem is, you know, the town was threatened with a lawsuit and, uh, you know, um, it ended up that you're able to sell both units. So yes. you didn't have to maintain ownership. Yes. And so it kind of does, it's, right. it's, it's very different now because you've kind of said to developers, come in, that's exactly find right. properties and you developer do this. The developer's motivation <laughs> is money. The money. Developer's motivation is not... <laughs> Well, let me see. Mark's getting kind yeah. of old, and yeah. you know he could use an ADU <laughs> so he could stay in town. Yeah. So the intent's very. So. You're you're absolutely right. When I think that when this was discussed, and I think I was on <laughs> council then, but when this was discussed, um, we thought that it was going to be for someone that actually lived in the dwelling, yeah. and then they would still live there and you know extend the olive branch to someone yeah. else to live there, uh, via parent or someone else. The concept was never. Um, a developer would buy a place and then have two houses and sell both homes. Yeah. That wasn't what we thought was going to take place, but you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's what we think we're going to do and there's what, it, what, ends, what ends up happening. But, you know, luckily you see what happens over time and you try to figure out how to make it better. You're right. Um, all right. So let's, again, okay. so you have a family, right? You have a wife, children? I do. I have a, I have a gorgeous wife that you see us walking around town. <laughs> We walk, we walk, you know, we, we received Christmas cards um, this year. And they're funny because on the Christmas cards, some some have noted, hope to see you walking around town, you know, because my wife and I, we walk 5.4 miles Monday through Friday, and we walk 6.5 miles Saturdays and Sundays, <laughs> which is, seems incredible, yeah. but, uh, but we do it and we, we love it. But what we've noticed is, we were something of a celebrities, celebrities because everyone yes. blows a horn or waves, keep oh it my up. Gosh. Keep I know it all up. the times you I wave and yelling. <laughs> I see you guys everywhere. Everyone says that. So um, yeah, we were we were at a battlefield last Sunday, uh, walking, and we cut through the institute, and we ended up at the shopping center, and one guy came by and said, "Didn't I see you on Mercer, <laughs> Mercer Street a while ago?" I said, "Yeah, you did. You did." So you know, we we definitely enjoy it. So. My wife is a Latanya Kilpatrick Liverman. I met her when she was getting her PhD degree at Princeton University. Um, she's a, a director of early research for Colgate Palmolive. My um, oldest child is Kelsey Liverman. She's a second year medical student at Temple Medical, medical School. My middle child is Ashlyn Liverman, and she's a senior, University of Maryland, College Park. And my baby is Savannah Liverman, and she's a junior at Princeton High School. So uh, we, we are all proud of, of our kids. Uh, we think that they've done well and they're doing well. That's great. Yeah. That's right. Family's very important. Thank you. Very important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the other place I see you a lot, aside from walking, <laughs> is that the First Baptist Church there at the corner of Paul Robeson and John Street. Uh, so you're very involved in your church. <laughs> I'm um, chairman of the trustee board at First Baptist Church of Princeton. I've been a member, and this is hard to believe, I've been a member of First Baptist Church for 53 years. Oh, my. It's almost incredible. So I am. I'm involved with the church, um, trying to keep the church on the corner. 
I call it keeping the little light on the corner. Um, you know, we, we try to do as many things as we can um, at the church. We've recently had a clothes drive and trying to give clothes to anyone that needs them. We still have a lot of clothes left. Um, we do, uh, we've do. Uh, we adopted a, uh, a uh, community in Malawi, Africa, and we've been supporting them for probably the last, uh, I'll say maybe 14, 15 years. We have about 800 orphans that we make sure that they eat and have water, proper water, and, and schooling, education. Um, so we've been helping with that also, which we, we're very, very proud of. Um, and we do a lot of things around the community. Um, during Christmas times, we give out food cards like other folks, and we, we try to help help people out. So I, I love First Baptist. Um, it's been there about 140 years or so, and we're trying to have it go on for another 140 years. Yeah. Yeah. Now, are their services open again? Or? Our services are open at uh, 1030 every Sunday morning. Um, we're also on Facebook, as you know, yeah. but, uh, but we're, we're, our services are, are open. Uh, we haven't started back um, Sunday school and some other things, but we're hopefully, well, we'll see which way that this COVID goes, but hopefully we'll be fully open next year. I'm yeah. hoping. Music is also a big part of the services, I if uh, right? I mean, uh, you have some local people. Oh, uh, we people love that, music, right? Oh, uh, we 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 love music. Um, one thing about a Baptist church is uh, you're not going to go to a Baptist church and not find good music. <laughs> That's something that we invest in. Um, we we love good music. We we have uh, folks from the community that that sing in the choir, um, and we do music things. We used to do music things before the COVID. At least once a year, have different churches come in and sing with us. And, so forth. So music is extremely important. We love it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's a pretty, uh, I've been to service there a few times and it's, uh, it's a great, great church. Oh, great thank you. People. Yeah. Well, when you come, you're more than welcome. I mean, anyone that wants to come to church, like I said, 1030, we're at a 119 John Street, you know, right on the corner of Paul Robinson, right across from the beautiful Dorothea house. And we'll love to have you. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think it's it's interesting, and and people should that listening should feel free. There's a number of churches in the Witherspoon Jackson neighborhood yes. that are all very welcoming. It's yes. like doesn't matter whether you <laughs> come right. here every week That's or right. not, but if you want exactly to come right. here, join a service. And we have people stop in. Um, you know, we also do, um, and it's something that we've done. We we do. It's going to sound kind of crazy, but we do great funerals. Um, I know it sounds, it does sound, it does sound kind of, kind of nuts, but we've had, um, we've had people from everywhere, from um, people from St. Paul's, uh, people from the Jewish Center, um, uh, Christian Science, yeah. various people, and they've all come and said that they've just been amazed at how well that we we do what we call homegoing service, um, because we we try to do it in a way that it's beneficial for the folks that are there and um, uplifting. Yeah. Um, even though the person's gone, um, you know, we, we feel that they've left something for us to be excited about. So we, we're, we do a great job with that. You do. I yeah, will, will do. say I've been to a number of funerals. Here <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. They have been well done. Thank you. Um, so looking at all your time in the community, whether it's with the church, the township committee, the town council, all the boards, mm -hmm. committees, commissions, the various ones you were on. I mean, this common theme of community service, just, you know, what, <laughs> what, what, what what's driving you in that direction? Were you really bad as a child or what would happen here? <laughs> um, my mother was a big community advocate and she felt that we were what we would call blessed to be able to give back. So as a young child, 
you know, from being in the Boy Scouts to, you know, Cub Scouts to, you know, the Ranger camp at the YMCA and so forth, it was always a sense of giving back. And that's just how I was raised. I, I'm hoping that many other people um, will understand that this is, you know, we, some people have labeled this a civic duty, but I labeled it as being um, blessed that you can give back. And um, I find it extremely important. And I've tried to instill that in my in my kids, uh, believe it or not, that, you know, there's a lot of folks that are less fortunate than we are. And if we can serve somehow to make it make the town better, then we should. So it started as a as a child. I that's this is all I know. I mean, my my makeup, uh, my DNA is that I just can't see myself not giving back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you You've done a lot and you continue to do a lot. So thank you on behalf of a lot of people. Um, so let, let, me ask, let, let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about running for political office again, whether it's council, county, state, whatever? You know, I'm, I'm glad that you asked me that question. <clears throat> that question comes up quite often. Um, am I going to run for a political office? Am I considering running for a political office? And at the time, at this time, point of time, I can tell you no. I, I've uh, I've shared you know enough of my uh, sweat and tears <laughs> in the political office. Um, but you never know what what the future holds. You know, right. you know, you say no now, and then four years down the road, something comes up. You know, but for now, I, I find myself I'm more content. Yeah, yeah, I'm more content. You know, I serve on the Princeton Senior Resource Center board. I serve on Mercer Council, Alcohol and Drug Board, I'm their treasurer. I mean, you mentioned Affordable Housing Board, chairman of the First Baptist Church, um, president and CEO of Liverman Associates, uh, taking care of, you know, real estate. I don't really see myself doing too much more <laughs> at, this, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> All right, we'll put that down as a definite maybe. <laughs> maybe. It's a definite maybe. <laughs> so the Lance Liverman Political Committee, go ahead and get yourself formed. You never know. Um, so, you know, Lance, you, you had a very good seat at seeing the two towns prior to consolidation and then being on the elected body right after consolidation. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, what are your general thoughts on how that, that whole thing worked out? You know, um, the principle um, of consolidating, I think, was extremely important. Um, I voted for consolidation. I thought that we should consolidate. Uh, we had too many duplicates. Uh, we were duplicating and duplicating. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had an engineer, the township, the borough had an engineer at the borough. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just duplicating, 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 and we didn't have to do that. So I think that the overall scheme of consolidation actually worked for us. Um, it was rough. I would have, the only different, I think I would have done is looking hindsight is I would have given us a little more time to blend and mush, mesh things together. So instead of one or three years, I would have given five or 10. Um, it's a lot of stuff. And I don't think we knew going into this, it was this much, but as far as the police departments, as far as public works, as far as, you know, all those, I think that it worked out very, very well. Yeah, I would imagine, especially for the for the police, because you had mm. two small departments, yep. and now you have one 
mid-sized department, I yeah. guess you could describe it as. So mm-hmm. it's got to be a lot easier for the police to do everything they're supposed to do yeah. and not be so constrained with having so few people in each each of the prior two departments. I, I agree. Um, I've always been a, um, I call it a cheerleader for the police. <laughs> yeah. I think that they do a fine job. Um, and I think that by having the consolidation, it opens up avenues that they didn't have before. Um, community policing, um, you know, the, you know, just a whole bunch of avenues that they didn't have the resources before. But now that you have a larger department with more people, you can do more outward things. Yeah. So I believe in the police being proactive instead of reactive. Right. And I'm hoping that with the consolidation and with the way that we're going, that we, we continue to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the police have definitely achieved that goal and consolidation yeah. was, was a definite bonus. And like you mentioned, public works also, it's got to be yes. just so much easier for public works. Again, talk about having so much duplication of equipment and positions. <laughs> you know, they we're only 18 square miles. I mean, my gosh. No, it was, it, it got to the point where you're like, well, you know, and people didn't even know where to go. When, when you said Princeton, like, and you want to go to clerk's office, do I go to Princeton clerk's office at the borough or do I go to yeah. Princeton clerk's office at the township? So they would come to the township, you know, looking for the clerk with all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, you know, after a while, like, oh, you're in the wrong place. They're like, you're kidding me. And they have to run back up to the borough. Yeah. It was like, this makes no sense. So yeah. we finally realized that we're really one town. You know, our, we were, the schools were already, you know, consolidated. Other things were really consolidated. It, it wasn't need for the municipality to be um, different. You know, we, we, should, we shouldn't be separate. Right. And I mean, I knew people were knocking and screaming and, you know, they were you know, saying, oh, the, you know, the town's going to close and we're going to be up, up the creek without a paddle and all this other stuff. But I think, you know, looking years down the road, I think that we're doing okay. Yeah, I think it's I think it's made a big difference. It just makes governing and managing the town so much so much a lot, easier. A lot easier. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I've I've pretty much exhausted my list of questions here, Lance. Um, so I, I want to. I, I don't know if there's any great tidbit about your life that you want to throw in, like you know the shoe boxes buried in the backyard or where they are or anything like that. But no, I, I can't think of um, um, anything um, any anything else probably to that I haven't told you already. Um, uh, you know, I, I will say, you know, you're looking back on the um, ADUs, that I think that there's going to be discussions uh, uh, surrounding um, accessory dwelling units um, in the near future. And maybe um, some folks that are listening may have some ideas how we could probably curtail the ordinance as it is today so that we can have it do what we thought we were going to yeah. <laughs> originally have them do. But that, that's about the only thing. Yeah. No, it's a good point. Yeah. So Lance, thank you very much for having uh, joined us today. We really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Um, Anytime. Anytime you need me, just just call me. Yeah. I think everybody in the town knows that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the eighth episode of the Princeton Podcast, produced as a community service by HG Media, providing audio, video, and website design services here in Princeton since 1999. If you enjoyed this episode of the Princeton Podcast, please share it with your friends and be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.